2: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door
0: cinema club. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by Castro Edge. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how you doing, man? You got a little sweat going today. What,
3: what are we about to? I got a little sweat going because I had a little workout. Um, I slept a little late. <laughs> and so I was trying. I was trying. I was trying to get it in because high school football started. So now we're practicing at night, and so my schedule, my body clock is all thrown off. It's all, it's all weird. But it's all Are good. we playing. Are we playing Friday? We got a game. Friday? No, no, no. We don't. We don't play until uh, after spring break. So we're gonna play our first game until April 9th. and we have a four game season, and nice. we're good. Speaking of four game seasons, have you been checking out some of this stuff in the spring, some of the colleges? You know
0: what, I I I must admit, I have not. I have not seen any of it, and I know there's going to be a
3: handful of guys. Maybe maybe you know maybe less than that, it's, but there's I mean, going to be
0: some guys are going to get picked that are playing in the spring, which
3: is really crazy, right? Yeah, it's hard it's hard to keep up with it because it's just a different time clock, right? You have March Madness yeah. on one channel, and then you have uh, games on the other channel. I did get a chance to see a couple of small college games. I got a chance to see Dion's team, Jackson State. They lost to yeah. Alabama State, but. It is kind of cool to see games that I never would have been able to check out in the fall because it's such an inventory and catalog of games during the fall that you just can't possibly see everything. So I do believe that there are guys who would get more eyeballs on them than ever before because it's the only show in town. So that is a positive for um, some of the players that have an opportunity to play this spring
0: yeah we've been saying that you know uh that it makes sense for lower levels to play in the spring i, I do um i'm with you on that one today we've got a, a good show we're going to talk about some of the quarterback fits uh, wrote an article about just after free agency the dust is kind of starting to settle a little bit what makes sense good fits there um i want to talk to you about uh some of the the i'll call them like the sleepless night debates that we have in this draft class I don't know about you, Buck, but like for me, um, I I feel like there's more kind of going from man, this guy or that guy, this guy or that guy. And in years past, you kind of could put some of those things to bed. And now I just feel like because the information is so incomplete and the more you learn as you go along, I mean, we'll we'll get to them. But like the one that keeps me up at night is the two Alabama receivers, you know, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. It's just like uh, Finkel and Einhorn, Einhorn and Finkel, like trying to go back
3: and forth on that. The pros and Um, cons. Yeah, DJ, I, th- I think it's interesting. Obviously, there are a lot of people out there um, in the scouting world, uh, not only scouts, but media guys who are scouts that you respect. And I think this year, more than any other year, has been the most discrepancies that I've seen when it comes to how guys view guys. Like, mm-hmm. everyone has a different top five when it comes to certain positions. There's certain guys that people are really high on. And then you go back and look and like, man, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. And I think just because... It's it's not a level playing field. You have guys that played in 2020, guys who didn't play, guys who were really good in 2019. So do you grade them on the curve when they didn't play? Guys who played a handful of games, guys who may have been impacted by injury or COVID in 2020. So how much do you deem them? It's different. And then when you throw out the combine, because the combine would be the opportunity not only for you to see guys work out, but to kind of get a lay of the land when it comes yeah, to the side by side, and stuff, and side by get all side, the information, compare and contrast, you don't have that. And, you know, we were having a conversation prior to to taping the podcast when we talk about multiple pro days and, and some schools having multiple pro days and some prospects electing to wait to the second pro day. Some prospects won't run at all. So what do we yeah. do with these incomplete profiles when they ne- they they never measure? We never get a height, weight, speed on them. We just don't know. And so you're kind of guessing as to what they are. And I know you have talked about it. Uh, You and Bruce talked about GPS and timing and kind of getting in-game stuff. But, man, like you just talk about all the things that we learned when we jumped into business. There's so many boxes that go unchecked, and we're a month away from draft day.
0: Yeah, and I I do want to point out, though, because I think some people think, hey, they haven't played any games. How does an order change? And I'm like, dude, if you only knew what it was like inside the draft room, that, that order from every draft meeting changes pretty <laughs> drastically how you're going through that because you're getting more information. You're getting a chance to see more. You're getting a chance to talk to more people. You're getting a chance to learn more about the kid. And in a case, like, let's let's get into a couple of these here because I want to talk about a couple mm-hmm. of these debates. So the, the receiver thing. I had initially Devontae Smith over Waddle. Then I go back and I really tried to lock in on Waddle, watch him from last year to this year. I saw the progression before he got hurt. I see he's so much more explosive and dynamic. He's a little bit stronger. So, you know what? I'm going to flip that. I'm going to go waddle over Devonte Smith. So, then you start you start talking to people that have visited with Devonte Smith and they're like this guy is like talking to a 10-year pro. Like he is dialed in. He there's like just no mm-hmm. there's no concerns there. I know the frame, we've talked about the mm-hmm. frame about how high you could go with that. But they said this kid is impressive when you talk to him. So, you kind of hear that. And then, I go, okay, let me go back and just refresh, watch a little bit more Devontae. Man, he's, gosh, Buck, he's a great route runner, man. He's a great Mm -hmm. route runner. And I go back over and I go, okay, let's go back and look at our hits and misses and the conversations that we have right here together every year. And we say, route runners and craftsmen, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. let's, hey, you want to flirt with the speed guys, you flirt with the speed guys, you marry the route runners. Like, those are the guys that you want to commit to. And I'm like, man, are we, am I kind of abandoning that in this case? Because... When you watch them side by side, Devonte Smith is a better route runner, uh, than Jalen Waddle. And yeah. so that's that. Those are the things. Like that's a that's a debate that's
3: taking place in the room, and it's sure as heck taking place in my head. I can promise you that. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's really challenging because not only with Jalen Waddle, you have okay. So the Jalen Waddle column, you have speed and explosiveness, exceptional with the ball in his hands. When he gets the ball yes. in his hand, the magic happens. But then he has an ankle injury. Yep. And we may not get a speed on him. We may not even see what he looks like because he wasn't right the last time we saw him play in the national championship game. I mean, we we like to think that he's not going to have any complications, but you kind of want to get confirmation like, oh, OK, the old Jalen Waddle is yeah. back. Devontae Smith is everything that you talk about. You talk to people around there. He soaks it up like a sponge. He gets it. He, he puts time in to master the craft and those things. I firmly believe I don't really have a sense that he is going to run. Uh, I think that is the one thing I think he might be a little slower time speed wise than people anticipate. And so if you have a slow time combined with whatever people think of the weight, it could really ding him in the room. Yeah. And and so it it, it comes down to who do you trust and what do you put your trust in in terms of who do you trust is going to show up and be as close to the player that we saw at Alabama? And I believe, man, a lot of it comes down to your play caller and what you're going to do creatively to help both guys be at their best. So for Devontae Smith, the way Sark moved him around and used him and all the things that we worry about, like, hey, he's, he's going to have a tough time against press. Well, cool. I'm not going to let him get pressed. I'm going to keep him <laughs> on the move yeah. so he doesn't have to face <clears throat> that stuff. Jalen Waddle, I'm going to keep him on the move. On routes. I'm not going to ask him to stop and start. I'm going to run crosses and deep overs and post and post corners, things where he doesn't have to stop and regenerate his speed. And so I don't need mm-hmm. to worry about him being that. So there beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And depending on the role that you envision for each guy will determine how you rank those guys on your board.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting discussion. And I think I've got a little while. I think I have a couple of weeks, so I need to have my next uh, uh, top 50 update. So we get a chance mm-hmm. to see uh, what we learn from, from now to then. A couple other things that, are, to me, I think are really good debates, which people are all over the map. Let me give you a quick example. It's The number one edge rushers, to me, is a, is a legit debate, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Buck, when you talk to guys this year, like you mentioned it all over the map. Like uh, Aziz Ojolari, there are teams that believe Aziz Ojalari is the best edge rusher in the draft. There are teams that would not take Aziz Ojalari in the first two rounds. They think he's a third round pick. Yeah, like that. That is indicative of kind of where everything is with these edge rushers. For me, I still I I, I have it Rousseau is my top guy, mm-hmm. and I have Quiddy Pay as my second guy with Jalen Phillips right behind him. But mm-hmm. I I go back and forth. I'm I'm anxious to see Rousseau move around. I haven't seen him in over 400 days. So yeah. To me, I want to see if he, if he moves around well and kind of checks that box through the workout. I'll I'll keep him as my number one guy. But I know Quiddy Pay is gonna he's a freak, and I know I did not like the way he was used at Michigan. So yeah. to me, he's got he's in his sights. Like if they're rounding the turn coming towards the finish line, like Quiddy Pay can see Rousseau now. If Rousseau eases up a little bit, Quiddy Pay could go buy him for me. But that that to yeah, me is no, a good so, debate.
3: So the debate with all three guys. There's there's so many things that you wonder about Rousseau. The 15 and a half sacks that year, like was phenomenal. He flashes, he popped, everything. But then you wonder, okay, am I gonna get this consistently? Because you know, look, he let's be honest, in his background, he's a wide receiver, safety type. Like, does he really love the contact? Can he get down there and 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 grind if people put their hands on him and those things? Um, Quiddy Pay is explosive. He is dynamic. Um, I can just envision being in the draft room and hearing the D-line coach say, yes, that's what I want. I want first step quickness. I want burst. I want activity and those things. Mm-hmm. Not as much achievement in terms of sack production or whatever. So then it makes you look at, OK, how is he using? how will we utilize him? They tried to move him around and do a lot of cute stuff. They never let him settle in. He, he got a bunch of minors, but he never walked away with a major. You know, like like one of those things. So he went to community college rather than going to a four year school to come away with. He got his associates. And then Jalen Phillips, to me, I think I lean towards him because not saying he's the same player. But we've seen these technicians at the position have success. The Nick Boses of the world, the other guys that came to the lead that were really good with their hands. They found a way to do it. So he's excellent with his hands, but he's not as dynamic as the other two guys. So what do you do with that? Do you lean towards the, the the skill player or the athleticism and saying we can teach and refine the skills? And then when I think of Jason Oway, like dynamic player, but the fish never get into the boat. Yeah, like, I mean, he's, the he's fishing all day, but he. So what do you do at all? And then Elise Ojolari, who I would say is the best at the one move that he that he has. Mm-hmm. But man, you got to give me something else, right? Yeah, to be in the league, tight, like too. to be effective, yeah. you have to give me. You have to have something else besides the speed rush and the swipe to turn the corner. Now, when he does it, he wears people out. But is he going to wear all pro caliber tackles out with that one move? It's it's a really
0: good debate, man. One of the um, one of the bigger discrepancies in a position that I can ever remember in a draft where people are just all over the map. Okay, uh, the next one. Give you two more. The top three running backs. And I will say this this is what's universal about these guys. Um, and I think we feel the same way. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. We really like the top three guys a lot. I think they're mm-hmm. all really good players. Everybody I talk to, I've probably talked to six or seven GMs in the last two weeks about just different things and the running back stuff. Everybody says the same thing. I'd be happy with any of the three. We we love all three guys. I might like this guy a little bit better. One GM was like, "Man, I w- one day I wake up and uh, and I like uh, Harris and Najee. The next day it's it's Etn. Like I they all can do really good things." But one of my favorite nuggets was about your guy at North Carolina. It was about Javante Williams. Um, mm-hmm. it, they they were talk, a team was talking to him because he he's an I posted one clip a while ago. He's an animal in pass protection. Like he is mm-hmm. he is. He's a linebacker hurt, in high school. He, he's out to hurt people. You got me right to it. So during the zooms, uh, when teams were talking to him about his mindset, and he was like, "Look, I didn't play running back to my senior year high school." He said, "I'm I've been a linebacker my whole life." So that's that's the mentality that I carry. And I'm like, "That son of a gun. That is how he plays. He plays as running back like a linebacker."
3: Yeah, like not only that, DJ, we always talk about it. Like, uh, I forgot the acronym that you guys used in Baltimore, but Smars is a part of it. Oh, STI, Speed Toughest Instincts. So he has that now. So the other thing is, he was valedictorian. So Mm -hmm. you're talking about a super smart, super cerebral guy who also has that dog mentality, that physicality that shows up in protection. And I believe because he played with Michael Carter, his best football is ahead of him because they didn't overuse him. So you're talking about a guy who might be able to really carry the load. And we talk about the load in today's game is maybe 18 to 22 touches, whatever combination of runs and receptions that is like, that's what we're talking about being able to carry the load. He has that his ability to catch the ball out the backfield has not fully been um, exploited. They can maximize that he's a very talented player. But then when I look at Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, they're, exceptional in their own right. Uh Najee Harris being a big a big back. Um I think the comparisons to Matt Forte are apt because you just don't see guys that big who are so easy in their movements in the passing game. Like mm-hmm. he's different because he's a big guy that can run routes. I mean the last big guy that we saw do that we could talk about Forte but levy and Bell could hey. go outside and legitimately run routes like a wide receiver. So that is fascinating because you're like man I get a little bit of both. I get the bang ability inside, I get the pass catching ability outside. I want that. Then I think about Travis Etienne and certain schemes because I have a vision of him playing in the jet scheme, which would be a version of yeah. the Niners Shanahan, scheme. Yeah. And I could see him hitting his head on the goalpost down after down, like putting his foot in the ground on an outside zone and blasting through a, a crease. And so you're like, man, if you get him in the right thing, he could be valued differently. So all three guys deserve the first round grade, but now it's musical chairs. Where do they fit? Who wants them? You have a handful of teams that need running backs. You have the Dolphins. You have the Jets. You have the Pittsburgh Steelers who could take one in the first round. Even the Buffalo Bills could lean on a running back. So where do you put those guys? How do you match that up? I want to
0: use a phrase because I think this is really one of the more important things in scouting. And I think it really could be true of any sport. And honestly, it's, it's really true of any profession. And that is the good teams, Buck, they use this phrase. I have a vision for this player. You just mentioned it like Travis Etienne. OK, we're the Jets or or we're, we're a team that's running the, the outside zone scheme. Man, I have a vision for how we're going to use him, what he's going to do, and how he's going to be successful. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, who is, mm-hmm. is a, you know, some teams have him as a strong safety. Some teams have him as a will linebacker. Some teams just going you know, to you know, f- factor him into what they're doing with all their sub stuff. He's going to be a nickelback or whatever. Um, it's important with these guys that you say, okay, we're not going to, it's not draft him and figure it out. That ain't what we're doing here. It is, we have a vision for him. We're going to use him this way, and he's going to be successful doing this because that's how he fits with us. The last thing, in my opinion, you want to do is say, we're just going to get him on the boat. We'll figure it out when he gets here. That doesn't yeah.
3: work. No, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's a lazy way. And I think what we've done, and we've seen teams who have struggled with that, you know, let's just take two players from last year's draft, Isaiah Simmons and Jeremy Chen. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Chen is drafted later, but the Panthers had a clear plan for how they were going to utilize him. They utilized him, they maximized him, and he played at a defense, a defensive rookie of the year level. Isaiah Simmons, the plan wasn't necessarily as clear or as defined. And because of that, we didn't necessarily see the same player that we saw at Clemson thrive with the Cardinals. And so when we talk about fit in scheme, we can call it that. We can call it the plan for the player, whatever that is. And I think we've done these things, whether on TV or on the podcast, we talk about you better make sure when you get the Christmas toy that you have instructions how to best yeah. utilize it. And so, yep. with some of these players, you have a you need to have a clear vision for this is how we're going to play him. And the coaches need to not only be able to say, "Oh, you coach, I need to have a very detailed plan for when he walks in the building day one through mini camps, through training camp. Here's how we want him to progress. So when he gets into the season, this is how we're going to play him and make sure that we use him."
0: Yep. And I, I think the Cardinals, as they got towards the end of the year, they started to kind of figure it out with him and you start to see him mm-hmm. do some good things. But I still think the best way to go is to say, man, okay, we we know when you come in here, we're gonna put you here and this is what you're gonna do and you're gonna be successful. And we like that fit. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one, and we can just move on with this. We don't even dig dig into it. Um, but for me, with the top three linemen, I have it with uh, with Slater, with Sewell, and Vera Tucker. To me, those guys are they're away mm-hmm. from everybody else. There's mm-hmm. a gap after those guys for me. But the next three, like with Mayfield, Derrissaw, and Jenkins, that to Mm. me is TBD. Like I'm still trying to get comfortable with the order of those three guys.
3: Yeah, and I I think that's what we're doing right now. It is, okay, let's get everybody in the neighborhood. So now we're in the neighborhood. We're in the range because I think Elijah Verituck, I know you talked about that. I don't think he has talked about enough. He's in going on top 15. Yeah, I will feel that,
0: very confident about that. In, that.
3: in that conversation with those other guys, it's kind of like Sewell and Slater, or whatever order, and then Very Tucker would know. Those three guys need to be in the same conversation because they all are blue chip guys. The next three that you talk about Mayfield, Jenkins, and Shaw. you're right. It is all about flavors of ice cream. What kind of ice cream do you want? How do you envision them playing? They all bring different things to the table, but all of them I would say are first round talents. And there's going to be a run on offensive tackles, I believe, in the 20s, where you're going to see six guys go in the first round. I'm pretty confident that I think we'll see six guys go because I think the position that will suffer at the hands of the offensive tackles will either be the wide receivers or maybe even the DBs. Mm -hmm. I think the offensive tackles, because there's a gap because after we get past those three, I think there's another gap.
0: Yeah, the other name I'll throw out there, and I'm gonna go back and watch a little bit more on him, Eckenberg from Notre Dame. Man, there people around the league love this dude. Like they are high on him to the point where I wouldn't be shocked if he went in the first round. I have him in the 40s on my list. I'm gonna go back and watch him again because I, I don't know where you are, Buck. For me, when you get when you get the background information on offensive linemen, mm-hmm. and there's just like there's like a uh, there's a template that exists. And when you start hearing things and you start going, okay, smart, tough, really good leader, he kind of manages that room. He's, mm-hmm. you know, And then you add in Notre Dame and he started a zillion games. You're kind of like, man, these guys don't fail. These guys that check all those boxes off, they don't fail. And they might not be sexy. You might not say he's a dynamic athlete. They
3: play for 10, 12, 15 years. Okay, you and I are both baseball fans. We talk about it all the time. You win a lot of games. Hitting singles and doubles. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to always <laughs> knock it out the park. No. All you got to do is slap it to right field, round round the corner, and land on second base. With Eichenberg, you, you talked about it. He's smart, he's tough. He's obviously shown leadership skills within that room. We understand the blueprint and the factory that Notre Dame is and has been when it comes to producing offensive linemen. We can say what we want to say. Their guys go into the league and they play. And so they understand how to play it. He's big, he's physical, he can move people off the ball. There's a lot to like. If you're in the 20s and you're stuck and you're debating over, hey, I kind of like this guy, I kind of like that, well, you know what, I can take the tackle and I feel good. I can sleep comfortably because I know I have a guy that's going to be an 8- to 10-year player and we're going to be solid when we put him out there. And because the value, right tackle, left tackle, is shrinking where you need to have two of them, I think it makes it. I think it makes it easy. I, I do believe we talked about it. Six, he's that that seventh borderline. Where if he goes, particularly think about Kansas City at thirty-one, the mm-hmm. issues that they had in the Super Bowl. You think Andy Reid is play, going to play leave? him and play him? Yeah, no. Nah. So their conversation. I mean, you have to have that conversation. So no, nah, I think that's a good one. I think that's one that we have to talk about, and that's why as much as and we'll do mock drafts like later this week. As much as the mock draft is fun, like, oh, we can put this receiver hand, this guy, that guy. At the end of the day, when we're really drafting real ball, you always typically go bigs over littles because the bigs are harder to find. We've proven it's been proven we can find the little guys various stages of the draft. But the big guys hard to find premier starters later in the draft. So that's why you have to go with the bigs.
0: And if I was. If I was Liam Eichenberg, I might draft a thank you note and and mail it to Isaiah Wilson and say thank you, because everything that Eichenberg is, is the opposite of what you had there with Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson coming out was immature. Isaiah Wilson was raw. He was in the first of all, he wasn't a first round player, but he, he was like enough. in the 60s on my list.
3: OK, so here here's the other thing, right? Like, let's go back and we won't take shots because yeah. like, we both have friends in the Titans organization, whatever. So we won't do it. But what we'll do is we'll look at Isaiah Wilson's failures and see if we can pull out a scouting lesson from that. The yeah. one thing that we've talked about and we've heard coaches come in here and talk about it. We've heard scouts talk about it. Number one, the player, or the prospect that you're looking at, you better determine if he loves it. OK, nope. because if he loves it, that'll give him his chance. That'll give him a chance to be successful because, Throughout the failures and those things, you know that he's committed to seeing if he can just be the best player that he can be. So he's going to work hard. He's going to come early. He's going to do all the things that you have to do to give yourself a chance. If you have a player that doesn't love it and is immature, man, you're talking about wrong, wrong off the bat. Yeah. Isaiah Wilson, all the things that we had heard with him coming out of Georgia, immature, don't really know if he loves it, likes what it brings, but doesn't necessarily love the stuff within, he goes to Tennessee, has a couple of missteps where he's reportedly at parties, out of place, COVID protocols, just can't do jumping it. Jumping out of buildings? J- jumping out of buildings to avoid uh, yeah. being called. So so you're already like that. So then you're like, okay, he gets a second shot at it, goes to Miami, and is late to the physical. <laughs> Hours late. Yeah. Blows off workouts reportedly. And then when they offer him, he's like, no, nah, I got it. He doesn't love it. And so, if I am going down, DJ, I will go down with a lesser player who is more committed than a more talented player. That is sometimes. Um, it's just I, being a pro,
0: though, man. Like, and I've been around, and you have too. You've been around guys who aren't. Maybe they don't necessarily love it, but they treat it as a job. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna get my work in. I'm gonna do what I need to do. Now, some of these guys, they leave the facility. They don't. They don't watch football. They don't care about football. But they're professionals. They're where they're supposed to be, and they work hard. And that, to me, at the offensive line position is more important than just about any other one because that room, you know, there's an accountability in that room, and there's an expectation of professionalism in that room. And when you fall short of that, that's why we're saying, we'll sacrifice a little ability, maybe a little upside, to get a little bit more of a pro, and I've got a chance again. It's a double. It might not be a home run, but I'll take doubles.
3: Take doubles all day. And so, I mean, there's no difference. And those who can't do it, and those who won't do it. Yep. But at least the guy who can't do it, I'm I'm gonna go to war with him if he's going to give me everything that he has because I can work around some of his deficiencies. The guys that won't do it, there's no changing them. They are what they are, and I think that's the lesson to be learned from Isaiah Wilson and some of the other guys that have floundered and flopped. All
0: right, let's uh, let's get to some quarterback team fits. I wrote an article on this. I'm gonna rip these off. We don't spend a ton mm-hmm. of time here, but just tell me what stands out to you. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I'll rip through them here. Trevor Lawrence still to the Jags. Although, man, they've been doing a lot of homework on Zach Wilson. I, I don't think it's 100% lock that maybe everybody else does. I'd say 95. Maybe there's a 5% chance Zach Wilson could cross him, uh, pass him before the finish line. But I'd still say Trevor Lawrence, Jags. Zach Wilson, for the reasons we've always mentioned on mm-hmm. here, makes the most sense for the Jets. Um, Trey Lance, um, I have Falcons at four make the most sense. But I think that three-spot, could legitimately be a good trade opportunity for somebody to vault up there uh, to go get Trey Lance. I had a chance to ha- to meet with him uh, mm-hmm. on the weekend. He was in town. He was working out with John Beck. So I had an opportunity to go spend some time with Trey Lance. He's impressive. You know, we've we've visited with him uh, on the show. I talked to him on the phone before. But getting a chance to sit down there with him in, and see him face to face. He's going if he had and I'm, he's already had some, but he's going to knock these meetings out of the park. Mm Because he's so so highly intelligent and understands it. For a 20-year-old kid who maybe is not all there yet as a player yet, man, it's hard not to buy the kid,
3: Buck. I think you have to buy the kid. Here's also what I I would like people to do when it comes to the Trey Lance evaluation. Wipe away what happened with Carson Wentz this year and go all the way back to how we celebrated Carson Wentz because of the things that the offense at North, North Dakota State asked the quarterback to do. One of the reasons it was easy to fall in love with Carson Wentz is not only the talent that he displayed, but when we watched the tape, North Dakota State asked the quarterback to do things that we ask quarterbacks to do on Sundays, multiple checks. Can you handle pass protection? Can you go from under center and shotgun? Can you do a variety of things so that your tool belt is is full? When I look at Trey Lance, I believe his tool belt is full with a bunch of different skills, not only physically, but mentally. And I believe he was se- severely impacted by playing that one game. It would have been better for him not to play that game. Yeah. So we would have had the memory of 2019 where he dazzled and dominated. Because if you go back and look at 2019, look, G.J., we had conversations here like, hey, I know we're talking about oh, it being a two-man race. Yeah, Hold no. on. Trey Lance? I watched three games. I watched three games
0: on each guy. And I, I even was a disclaimer. I said, look, these are three game evaluations. It's enough. But off of three games, Trey Lance was the most impressive of all the guys to me last year. Off three games.
3: Right. And so those evaluators that dig deep and look at that and say, hey, we'll throw that Central Arkansas game out. And now I really would throw it out because now that we've seen North Dakota State without him, we understand maybe what he was playing with in the fall was not necessarily up to the Bison standards. This is a very talented player. I mean, a very talented player who checks off boxes in terms of athleticism, size-wise, IQ, what's not to like. We can talk about the flaws in the game, but guess what? His superpower, his athleticism, enables him to make up for some of this stuff while he's learning on the go. And so Trey Lance, Justin Fields, I think you can say similar things about both of them. The athletic superpower is going to give them a chance to be successful before their game is fully developed and ready for them to be super successful as pros.
0: I'm with you. Again, I, the more I look at these top four guys, but I think all four of these guys, assuming they get into good situation, I think Mm -hmm. all four of these guys can be really good. Um, Justin Fields, Patriots. I had that with a move up scenario. Mac Jones was the Panthers, which I don't know if it's, if it's there, or if they try and get back, you know, trade back. To me, it's a little rich to take him where they are, but maybe try and situate back. See what happens with Sam Darnold. Uh, I talk about the uh, the veterans here as well in a sec. But um, mm-hmm. Davis Mills to the Vikings, like third round, to me is a great opportunity for him to come in. You give you have Kirk Cousins just a little bit of a push, um, and if and if you might end up having your guy to to replace him down the road. Uh, Kellen Mond to the Broncos. Again, I think they're going to bring in somebody to compete. Uh, with Drew Locke, and then I had Darnold going to the Niners, you know, as the veteran move there to the Niners. But those, to me, those are the quarterback teams. Jags, Jets, Falcons, Patriots, Panthers, Vikings, you know, at some point in time. Uh, Broncos, 49ers. I expect those teams to to add to that room here as, as we come through the draft, or or through a trade.
3: Yeah, no, no. I, I think that's it. I also would put a wild card team. I would say, be on the lookout for the Seattle Seahawks doing something. Yeah, Like, just Just be on the lookout because you've heard all this smoke or whatever. Like, I think if they found the right quarterback on day two, that was kind of the blinking light staring them in the face. I think it would make sense. Um, In that scenario, I'm thinking like Kellen Mond, Mm -hmm. just because of the athleticism and what they want to do in terms of bringing in that Rams offensive system that makes it very easy for the quarterback. Just be aware. I could see a scenario where you're talking like somewhere in day two, they find a quarterback, not saying that he's Russell Wilson, but someone that's that has comparable traits that they say, you know let's take a young quarterback, let's see if we can develop him and and just give ourselves options in 2022.
0: They have three picks. Mm-hmm. Three picks. Yeah, but I we can't see them. I know uh, they trade back. They trade we back see, and they, see, and they see end see up with a it bunch it of they picks in the like fourth. They always, fourth they always, fifth round. Yeah. But but I'm I just I'm with you. I think if they could Figure out a way to get in range to get one of these top quarterbacks. I, I think they would do it in a heartbeat. I really do. I think. Yeah. For any, I, I think for any of those top four guys, they would do it.
3: Yeah, and they I, would I, move
0: on from Russell. Yeah,
3: yeah, because I, I, I think it's. I think the the record is just growing. Weirdest, it's, yeah. it's a lot of scratches on the record. I think they're tired yeah. of hearing the scratches.
0: Yeah. I still want to see what that conversation is like with the offensive line. When Russell Wilson it's, comes back for the first minute, it's, it's not,
3: it's not going to be good. And I know like people, Hey guys, know,
0: just kidding. I know I said that, that I needed a better offensive line play. You guys
3: weren't any good, but um, I, Hey, good to see you. How was, how was your off season? How does that conversation go? Yeah. The best thing that can happen for them is to not have mini camps or everything is a virtual off season. So they can wait and kind of right. put some distance between those comments and the, the hey, I know you were. I know you were playing hurt. I know you were playing hurt. I know I. I ran
0: around for ten seconds on a couple of these sacks, but you know, hey, just just be better. You know, just get better, guys.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, it would be an interesting, interesting uh, conversation, weird. an interesting scenario for sure.
0: All right. Well, this has been a fun one today. I appreciate you guys hanging with us today. Hope you've enjoyed it. We've got another one coming up here this week where we're going to dig into Bucky's uh, latest mock draft. So be on lookout for that. Um, Also, a reminder, the digital show uh, that streams this week, 2 p.m. Eastern uh, and also airs on NFL Network at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, You can check that out on Thursday. Saturday, it'll be on at 7 a.m. Eastern. So get yourself up early if you miss it on Thursday. Uh, We have Mock Draft Live. That's going to kick off Tuesday. That is uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. So be on the lookout for Mock Draft Live as well. That is your mock draft, right, Buck, for Mock Draft Live for this this initial launch here? Second Uh, one. So looking forward to that. So uh, be on the lookout for it. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for hanging with us. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Castrol Edge.